Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. It's my privilege, again, to uh, read Scripture to you a second time. Mandy was unable to do it because she is serving in the nursery. She is a mother. She has superpowers, but not the ability to appear in two places at once. So, um, Matthew 7, while you're turning there, too, I will just mention uh, a celebration that we should be aware of. I'm not, I don't know about all of these, but when I hear about them, I pass them on to you. Yesterday was Bruce and Betsy Souter's 50th wedding anniversary, so uh, they're watching from home still during the pandemic, but uh, happy anniversary this uh, grand occasion to them. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There are two types of people in the world. Now, what's supposed to finish? What's supposed to end that sentence? You've seen sentences begin that way. What's supposed to come next? Uh, a joke of some kind, some or perhaps some poignant observation about human nature. Uh, here are some examples. They vary whether or not they're funny or just uh, thought-provoking. There are two types of people in the world, those who love to talk and those who hate to listen. James Thorpe said that. I don't think the athlete Jim Thorpe, but James, a James Thorpe. Here we go. This is from somebody who's having a bad day. There are two types of people in the world, those who are on my side and those who are in my way. Oof. There are two types of people in the world, those who are married and those who are happy. Don't laugh hard at that. Your spouse is sitting next to you. Come on now. Okay, here we go. 
There are two types of people in the world. Those who walk into a room and say, there you are. And those who say, here I am. That's from Dear Abby. Abigail Van Buren. Uh, there are two, two types of people in the world. Those who can extract, extract from incomplete data. All right, then next. There are two types of people in the world. Those who can keep secrets, and I can't tell you about the others. There are two types of people in the world. Those with a short attention span, and look over there, it's a plane. There are two types of people in the world, smart people and those who buy John Deere. We live in Lancaster County, right? This is the last one I'm going to show you from Tom Robbins. There are two types of people in the world, those who believe there are two types of people in this world and those who are smart enough to know the better. So he says this, and yet, yet, we just read this passage of Scripture where Jesus talks an awful lot about two types. There are two gates, two trees, two claims, and two houses. As Matthew records it, Jesus is coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and because it's the end of his sermon, it is time to make a decision. When he began the Sermon on the Mount, he was very tender. Blessed, he pronounces blessings. Blessings on the poor in spirit. Blessings on the meek. Blessings on the persecuted. Blessings on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Very broad, very welcoming, very tender. At the end, though, he's quite tough. It is time to make a decision. Choose well how you respond to these words from the Lord Jesus Christ. There are dire consequences for choosing poorly. Now remember that Matthew's original readers uh, had uh, heard the gospel of the good news about Jesus and were believers. Jesus has already, by the time they got this in written form, Jesus has already died and risen from the dead. They've already chosen, they've already believed, they already are his followers. Like many of you here this morning, you've already chosen. And this passage here serves as a reminder about how stark that choice is, how significant that choice is. A life of faith is different than what many people expect it to be. There are some people who have rejected Jesus without really understanding what he called them to and what he claims. That's true. This passage warns us, though, that there are people who have ostensibly followed Jesus or accepted Jesus but have the same problem. They don't really understand what he claims and who he is. So we better be careful. I want to walk through this passage. We're going to talk about the two gates and the two trees and the, the two claims and the two houses. We're going to just go through the passage carefully that way. And for each one of those images that Jesus gives, I want to share with you a word that I think summarizes what Jesus is trying to communicate uh, with those images. So let's start with the two gates, shall we? And the word that I want you to think of when uh, we think of these two gates is the word exclusivity. Exclusivity. You can decide if these words of mine work in the, with these paragraphs, how well they match. But in this passage, Jesus talks about two gates and two roads. Uh, which road, which gate are you going to go through? Which road are you going to travel down? 
It reminds me a little bit of Robert Frost and his well-known poem, The Road Not Taken. I don't know if Robert Frost wrote his poem on the basis of this uh, passage, but remember the lines, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And it ends this way, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Two gates, two roads. One gate is broad, one gate is narrow. One road is broad, one road is narrow. Uh, there are some people, on the basis of the, the Greek language that lies beneath this translation, think that the broad road is not just broad, but it's easier. And the narrow road is not just narrow, it's, it's harder. The words could hint at that. Of crucial difference here is where these, where these roads lead. Alexander McCartney said, the main thing about a road is where it goes. Doesn't really matter what it looks like, it's where it's going. And there's one road, the broad road that leads to destruction, and there is a narrow road that leads to life. There are only two gates, two roads. There's not a third option. You can't create your own road. Jesus says you're on one of these roads. You've walked through one of these gates. This is the way it is. And the one he advocates is the narrow gate. That might trouble you a little bit. Uh, you probably don't like to think of yourself as a narrow person, except your waistline. You'd like your waist to be narrow. But uh, uh, not, not your mind, not your vision, you want to have a broad vision and a broad mind, and Jesus says, no, narrow, narrow. Sean Douglas O'Donnell says uh, that the um, exclusivity that Jesus is advocating here is one of the least popular teachings of Christianity. And it's not something that we made up. It's what we got from the Lord Jesus. He said it here. There's a narrow gate, and only the narrow gate leads to life. And then in John 14, 6, this very well-known verse, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I read a few minutes ago from Acts 4.12, there's salvation found in no one else except the name of Jesus. By the way, that word way here, I am the way and the truth and the life, is the same word that leads to the word road here in Matthew 7.13. And in Acts 9.2, when followers of Jesus are called followers of the way, Jesus is the way. That sort of exclusivity might make you anxious, but I would suggest to you that you practice an awful lot of exclusivity in your life, whether you realize it or not. You're very exclusive, by the way, uh, uh, for example, uh, about what you put in your gas tank of your car. You somehow, because you're so close-minded apparently, insist on putting gasoline in the gas tank and not milk or grape juice or orange juice or water. It would be a lot cheaper if you just put water in there. Why? Why are you so exclusive? You go to the, the station and you don't even put diesel in, unless you have a diesel vehicle. It's that same, same place. And you insist on unleaded gasoline. You're pretty exclusive. 
Some of you are exclusive when you go to the doctor. You walk into the doctor's office, not feeling very well. She comes and examines you and prescribes medication. And you look at it and you say, this pill again? Can't you think of anything else to give me but medicine like this, pills? Why does your doctor never prescribe for you Oreos? Take two of these three times a day and you'll feel better, right? I'd feel better. Sure. I wonder, where's that doctor? Is she on my health plan? That's what I want to know. You're pretty exclusive when you go to the doctor. You're pretty exclusive when it comes to marriage. There is something about love that moves toward permanence and exclusivity, those two things. When you got married, you made promises that you would forsake all others until death do you part. Love moves towards permanence and exclusivity. Think about all of the well-known love songs that you are aware of. I, I, I am I, I'm nearly positive that in every single one of them, those love songs make some reference to these two values, permanence and exclusivity. If you're ever listening to the radio and a song comes on that says, Baby, I'll love you for days, just a few, along with all the other girls too, that is not going to be a hit love song. Permanence and exclusivity. You're pretty exclusive. Jesus is exclusive here. There's a narrow gate, and only the narrow gate and narrow road lead to life. Actually, this gate and road imagery is helpful for us as we think about what it means to follow, uh, to be a follower of Jesus. There is a gate, a point of entry that leads to a road, the path that follows from the gate. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus at one point in time comes to a point of decision where they turn and trust in him. You walk through the gate and it leads to a road, a different sort of life. Entering the gate changes you. This is a reminder here from this passage that the Savior who has come to rescue you is also the Lord who has come to reign. And this makes perfect sense. Think about this. Uh, You were heading, before you became a follower of Jesus, you were heading away from God in rebellion against him. The consequences of your foolish decisions is death, separation from God, eternal punishment. Jesus makes reference here to being thrown into the fire. And the good news comes, somebody comes and tells you that Jesus has come to rescue You read it in a book, a friend of yours told you, your parents told you, you heard an evangelist, you read the Bible, somebody told you that Jesus has come to rescue, and you turned and trusted in him and found forgiveness and life. He, the one who died in your place on the cross as your substitute, died and rose again. And you turned to him and trusted him and claimed him as your savior, And have forgiveness and life in him. And now Jesus, the one who died for you, says, here's the way to go. Here's here's the path of life that I, I I will send you down. Where you were going was full of darkness and death and destruction. Here's the path of life, you who are my own. The Savior who come to rescue, who comes to rescue is the Lord who comes to reign. He points us in a new way. And that new way, we should understand, is a contrary way. 
Jesus says here, the many and the few, he talks about it, many enter through the broad gate that leads to destruction, few, only a few find the narrow gate. Now, I don't think he's using the word many and few here so that we can do statistical analysis, so that we can look at the population of the world and try to figure out what percentage are going to become Christians. and what. That's not why those verses are, are here. Uh, actually, later in Matthew, he's going to say, many people will come from the nations of the world to, to trust in him. So don't do statistical analysis, but recognize that the way he is commanding us to go is not the way that most people in the world are going to go. Here's this warning. You can be popular or you can follow Jesus. I doubt that you can do both. Now, and, and Jesus says this, I understand and he understands the impulse that we have to fit in, to not stick out who wants to be the religious weirdo. Right? Uh, you feel this impulse most heavily when, when you're in a new situation. Right? You're entering a new middle school for the first time. You joined a new team. You're part of a new class. You walk into a new campus. You move into a new neighborhood. You take a new job. You, you don't want to stick out. You, you don't want to be weird. Jesus, isn't there a way that we can follow you without sticking out? Without being contrary? There's this impulse that we have just to lay low or the impulse maybe just to be cool. Some of you master that much better than I do. Be cool. I'll dress cool. I'll talk cool. I'll, I'll know all of my pop culture cool references and I'll just be cool. The problem is eventually being cool will come to an end and it comes to an end as you follow Jesus. I know a man, he's a pastor now, but when he was in college, he had decided that he, we might as well get this out. We might as well get this over with, get this out, let everybody know. When he would meet somebody, a new classmate or somebody in the dorm, he would just say right off the bat, listen, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to put you down on my prayer list. So um, can you tell me things that you would like me to pray for? Because I'd be happy to pray for them because I will pray for you. Here's the announcement. Yes, I'm the religious weirdo. I'm the one who follows Jesus. You can be popular or you can follow Jesus. It is doubtful you can do both. Many are in one way, the wrong way that leads to destruction. Few are on the narrow road. Notice here how, uh, in, and we're going to see this as we go through, Jesus is in the process here as he's tough at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the process of separation. Here he's separating his followers from the many who are not. Now we're going to move on to the two trees, and Jesus is going to again engage in the act of separation. Uh, this time, though, he's going to separate his people from those who claim to be his representatives. Okay, key word, two trees, authenticity, authenticity. Here is a warning about false prophets in this passage. Watch out for false prophets. From the beginning, Jesus and the apostles have warned us that there will be people who will come in Jesus' name who will not be from him. There are more people who claim to follow Jesus than actually do, and the warnings are even in the New Testament from the beginning, Jesus has been saying this. The problem is, 
How do we identify these false prophets? How do we recognize them? There's a problem. They look like sheep. They come to you looking like sheep, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. This imagery of wolves as false teachers uh, uh, appears often in the New Testament uh, four or five times. Acts 20, 29 to 31, the Apostle Paul says this, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Have you ever given anybody baker's chocolate? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who had a little bit of a mean streak, you know what I'm saying, right? You open this box of baker's chocolate and you hand it to someone and say, hey, would you like some candy? And they bite into it and they go, oh! It's so bitter. It looks so good and it tastes so bad. These false prophets... Jesus doesn't talk about baker's chocolate. Instead, he talks about thorn bushes and thistles. There was, in Jesus' day, a thorn bush that would produce a berry that looked very much like a grape. From a distance, it looked like grapes. But when you get closer and and look and taste, nope, that's not grapes. And thistles produce a flower that looks, it's the same size and shape and color as a fig. This looks promising. You get a little closer. No, this is not. This is not. Look out. There's false prophets. They're hard to recognize, but don't be discouraged. Don't worry about it because Jesus tells us twice, you will be able to recognize that they're false teachers. He says it in verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Trees always reveal themselves by their fruit. And false teachers will recognize, reveal themselves by their fruit. What does he mean by their fruit? I have three suggestions. I think he's talking, first of all, about their teaching. Does what they say coincide with what Jesus himself has said? Secondly, you can recognize false teachers by their life. Are they living a life that is in conformity with what Jesus has taught? And third, you can tell by their influence. Their influence. What do other people who follow them, what, what happens to them? What does their life look like? Look out for false teachers. Now, third, let's talk about the two claims that are in this passage, starting in verse 21. Two claims. And the key word that I want to use here is the word intimacy. Intimacy. The separation continues. Jesus' followers from the many Then, Jesus' followers from the false teachers, and now there's true followers and false followers. And the the key here, I think, in these verses is verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, knowing Jesus. There seems to be, Jesus seems to be building off the difference between saying and doing. Saying and doing. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And so I think there's, there's something going on there with say and do. But we, before we think about that even more, you should notice this claim that Jesus is making in this passage. 
Jesus is claiming, verse 22, on that day, what day? That day of judgment when all human beings who have ever lived stand before God. On that day, Jesus says, I'm going to be there. And people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, and, and I am going to speak the verdict that determines your destiny and your destiny will be, will be decided based on whether or not I know you. Oh, that is a huge claim that Jesus is making here. You should imagine if any other human being said that. If you came into church one Sunday night, we have a special guest speaker. His name is uh, uh, Ralph Evans. And, and Ralph stands up and says, on the day of judgment, I will be there. And I will decide if you go to heaven or not. And you will have to know me in order to go there. Ralph, who do you think you are? And yet the Lord Jesus is saying this. He's making this claim about who he is. And there are people who are self-deceived, who think that they belong in the kingdom of heaven, but who do not. Why are they deceived? You should think about this. There are some of you in the room who have particularly tender consciences. And this passage troubles you severely. Uh, those of you who don't have tender consciences, maybe you should listen even more carefully. How is it that these guys, these people, are so deceived? What, what have they got wrong that they don't know Jesus and Jesus doesn't know them? Well, notice the distinction between what they claim to have done and, and the Sermon on the Mount. Think about that with me. They claim, they say to Jesus... We prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many, many, they say, many miracles in your name. Where in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus value any of those external signs, those experiences? I recognize that the Holy Spirit has not yet come, the Holy Spirit who empowered the apostles to do these sort of works at the beginning, but... but even then, think about what the Holy Spirit does. What kind of fruit does the Holy Spirit produce in a person's life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And they, that coheres so very well with what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. What does he call us to? He calls us to pray, but do it in secret. He calls us to give generously, but do it without any expectation or hope of getting any credit for it. He calls us to fast behind closed doors. He calls us, again, to be poor in spirit and to be meek and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. How vastly different those quiet acts of, of uh, devotion to Jesus, how, how different those quiet acts are than these loud, I've prophesied in your name and I've cast out demons in your name. And There is a sort of life here that is, Jesus is commending that comes from knowing him, having a sort of close relationship with Jesus that, that changes you from the inside out. It is possible to be deceived, and it's possible to be deceived by your experiences. D.A. Carson tells the story of a man who uh, was out in the woods walking one day and had a spiritual experience. He was, as it were, caught up into the third heaven where he saw God and heard God's voice. And, and when it was over, he went home and started telling everybody he knew about it. And uh, he would go and 
talked to pastors and church leaders and, and all of his neighbors, and he, he wrote down his, a book about it. It's called My Experience, and he kept the manuscript, and he would share it with people who, who would want to listen to him. Um, after, though, a few weeks of this, um, things kind of just got in the way. I mean, the cows had to be milked, and the groceries had to be bought, and, and things needed to be done, and his enthusiasm, and everybody he knew heard the story, and the people who he didn't know didn't want to hear it, and he just kind of stopped sharing, stopped anything. A couple years later, somebody came, uh, visitors came to town, and they said to him, hey, aren't you the guy? Yeah, that's me, that's me. So he brought him into his house, he sat down, he said, let me tell you about what happened to me. He said to his wife, would you go and get my experience, this manuscript, and it was, she found it upstairs in the bottom of the back of a closet. Vermin had gotten after it, and she brought it downstairs. She said to him, your experience is a little moth-eaten. It's easy to be deceived by experiences. Jesus here is commending to us a life that comes from a vital connection to him. Two claims. Now third, fourth, sorry, two houses two houses. And the word I want you to think about here is the word stability. Stability. Now the separation that Jesus is, is going after is a separation that might happen in your own life. The separation between hearing Jesus' words and doing it and just hearing it. This is a very familiar image. You know this story. You probably know the song too, right? About the wise man who built his house upon the rock. So uh, hearing and then doing is like building your house on a solid foundation. Hearing but not doing is like building your house on the sand. And when the storm comes, one house survives and one doesn't. Now notice the difference. The difference is not in whether or not you endure the storms. I wish the texts were different. I wish Jesus had said, the man who hears and does what I say is like a person who builds his house in a safe place where there's never any storms at all. That'd be nice, right? The text said that. It's not what the text says. Both houses experience storms. Both houses are rocked by storms. Followers of Jesus experience storms in life. They get diagnosed with MS. Followers of Jesus have miscarriages. Followers of Jesus are diagnosed with cancer. Their businesses go belly up. They have children who overdose. They get divorced. Storms, storms, storms come. But the promise here, actually there's a promise and a warning. The promise in this passage is, hear what I say, Jesus says, build your life on it, and when the storm inevitably comes, you'll survive. You'll hear the rain, the, the rain pelt against the windows. The house might shake a little bit in the thunder, but you'll make it. You'll survive. There's stability. But if you hear and don't put into practice, there's the warning. Great crash. This reminds me a little bit of what James said, James, Jesus' little brother, in uh, James 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James uses the imagery of a mirror. You got up this morning, you walked into the bathroom, and you saw the damage that a knight had done to your face. And then you did something about it. You scraped off the hair that was in the wrong places. You covered there what was there with uh, uh, makeup. You, you, fixed, you fixed what was there. Jesus, James says, this word is like a mirror. Look in it. It will tell you what's wrong. Fix it. Do what you hear. Um, the most important question for you to ask on Sunday mornings after we spend time in God's word is, what shall I do now? What shall I do now? We read God's word. There's some things in there for you to believe, some things for you to rejoice over, things over which uh, you should repent, things over which you conform your life to what Jesus has called. What shall I do now? What shall I do now? A few years ago, Kathy was at the Pineview Dairy, and she picked up a little bottle of flavored milk. They have a flavor of the month down there. She picked up one mocha milk. Oof, mocha milk. She brought it home. She drank it. She enjoyed it. She went back and bought another one and drank it and enjoyed it. Not in the same day, but uh, she enjoyed it. And she, it began to, 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 she started thinking about drinking coffee. And over the, last, the course of the last uh, few years, she has become a coffee drinker, a coffee connoisseur, nigh, this is my beloved wife, a coffee snob. <laughs> we never had a coffee maker in our house for the first 20 years that we were married. Now we have a coffee maker. And my wife happily makes coffee in the morning. So I look at that coffee maker. I clean the coffee maker. I examine it, I move it when it's in my way, and I look at it and I think about drinking coffee. Um, I have this vision. I like how coffee smells, and um, I think on a really cold day, it would be nice to drink a cup of hot coffee. And I admire what coffee does for some of you. <laughs> it does marvelous things for you, what coffee does, and I think, hmm, wow. But the problem is that I have tasted coffee before. I know some of you are thinking, you're the many and I'm the few. I know some of you are thinking, it's an acquired taste. I'm not willing to put in the work. <laughs> I admire coffee. I like what coffee does to people. I'm happy for you. It's just not for me. Is that the way you follow Jesus? I admire Jesus. I like what Jesus does for people. I think Jesus has an aroma about him that is pleasant and, and pleasing. But if you are not following Jesus, you are no Christian, my friend. And this passage offers you no consolation at all. Jesus has painted a picture in this passage. There's two gates. There's two trees. There's two houses. You're in that picture somewhere where in that picture are you? Let's pray, shall we?
Father, we come before you this morning and we are grateful to you for the clarity of the Lord Jesus. We're grateful to you for this clarity because, Lord, we, we can be confused at times and self-deceived. We're grateful to you for this clarity because we live in a contrary world and um, we don't receive affirming messages to follow the Lord Jesus from people around us, from the many around us. Thank you for this clarity. Lord, I'm grateful to you for the testimonies of, of people in this room, followers of Jesus, who have turned and trusted in him, and their, life, their lives reflect the, the character and the virtue of someone who has a, a, a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm grateful to you. Lord, though I am concerned as we think about our own church and the people who are a part of it, our children, Lord, keep us from being deceived. Keep us from being mere admirers of Jesus and not those who follow him wholeheartedly. Rescue us, Lord, from our ignorance and our foolishness that we might know you truly and follow you faithfully. We pray these things together in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, Amen.